Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior and Shepherd, Good Shepherd, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, Let's read these words together from our Gospel reading. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have only five loaves here and two fish. Well, this familiar account from the ministry of Jesus, this miracle, it holds a distinctive place in all of Scripture. Apart from the resurrection of Jesus, of course, the feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle that is recorded in each of the four Gospels. And this indicates how important this miracle was in the time of Jesus, when the Gospel writers were recording all of this, and how important this miracle still is for us today, and how we are to better understand Jesus. There's so much that that could and should be said over time about about this miracle. There's so much to unpack there. And there's also, there's a lot going on at this point in Matthew's gospel as well. In fact, Jesus had just come from Nazareth, his hometown. He had just been rejected there. He had just received the news that his relative, John the Baptist, had been killed by Herod Antipas. Our, Our gospel reading began by alluding to that. Uh, Jesus withdrew from the crowd so that he could have some time on his own for a while. And yet he found that the crowds were still following him. And, and he, didn't, he wasn't dismayed by that. He had compassion on them. He was healing and feeding multitudes of people, even though he himself <coughs> was still grieving. So there's a lot that we could say there. But, but today, regarding the miracle, I'd like us to focus on two Scenes that take place during our gospel readings, two scenes from the account of this miracle, and they contrast with one another, these two scenes, and they shed some light on, on what we hear and what we might learn from it today. And so the first scene, it comes after Jesus had spent the whole day healing and working miracles among the thousands of people who were following him. And so when evening came, you could tell that the disciples' anxiety level was was increasing and had now reached a point where they felt it necessary to say something to Jesus. You see, the disciples saw clearly that there were crowds at the end of the day that needed to eat. But the disciples didn't know how to deal with that need, nor did it seem like they wanted to. And instead of suggesting to Jesus, or looking to Jesus rather for a solution, they suggested to Jesus that he dismiss the crowds and just take away the problem instead. But Jesus had a different plan. He said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. And so that's what leads us to our first scene. The first image in your mind that I'd like you to think about regarding the feeding of the 5,000, it's the scene of the disciples bringing to Jesus the tiny supply of food available to them, which was only five loaves and two fish. Perhaps one disciple was holding the bread while another was holding the fish, and the rest of the disciples were were standing around. They were gathered around empty-handed, 
looking rather clueless, I might say. And so as I think about this first scene, those, those few handfuls of bread and fish in the face of a hungry and large crowd, well, it seems to be the equivalent of the disciples pulling their pockets inside out to show Jesus that they had absolutely nothing to offer him and nothing to offer the people. And so keep that image in your mind as we turn to the second scene. The disciples are once again in front of Jesus, but this time they had just finished feeding the crowds. And so they're bringing food to Jesus again, but now there are no empty hands. Rather, each disciple is using two hands to hold a basket, a basket overflowing with pieces of bread and leftover fish. Twelve baskets in all, one for each of the disciples, and each one containing more food than they had started with. And in the background of this second scene, you see the crowds of people who are leaning back in their places. They are satisfied. They are well provided for. And so then as we think about both of these scenes side by side, we see that in the first one, the disciples had come to Jesus to report their limitations. They had nothing to offer him except five loaves and two fish, and they meant to present these things as the proof, as evidence that they couldn't do anything to meet the needs of the crowd, and for that matter, they thought neither could Jesus. However, instead, Jesus uses that very thing, the bread and the fish, as proof positive that not only could he meet their needs, but that he could oversupply them in such a way that was way out of proportion to the resources available. Bring them here to me, Jesus said. And he demonstrated the greatness of his love and mercy and power. And you see, this is what Jesus does. He, he not only meets our needs in this life, but he oversupplies us. We come to God as poor, miserable sinners, and we realize we have nothing to offer him. We turn our pockets inside out, which reveal that we are coming to him with nothing but our sin. But that's precisely when God begins to work in amazing ways. The 16th century reformer Martin Luther knew this very well. On his deathbed, his last words were said to have been, We are all beggars before God. This is true. Here was a man who knew full well the poverty that he and that we as humans have in our sin and in our unrighteousness. We can only come before God as beggars, completely and utterly destitute in both body and soul. But Luther also knew the great mercy and grace that God had shown him and has shown all of us through his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus came not only to cancel the debt we owed on account of our sin by his sacrificial death, but he also graciously bestowed upon us all the benefits of his righteousness. Jesus oversupplies us with life and salvation that is way out of proportion to the resources available. He takes poor, miserable sinners like you and like me who are nothing but beggars with spiritually empty pockets and he makes saints out of us 
People who will dwell and feast with our God for all eternity. That is amazing. And that is nothing short of a miracle. But you see, God's work doesn't even stop there. It doesn't stop with God's work of salvation on our behalf. Because until that day that our eternal lives begin with him, we still live in this world where there are a lot of physical and spiritual needs. Needs of our own as well as the needs of our neighbor. And you see, Jesus wasn't only concerned with people's spiritual Uh, spiritual needs. He cared for their physical needs as well. He was healing them. He was feeding them. And so God calls us to be in similar ways, his hands and his feet in this world as we seek to care for the needs of our neighbor. We call this vocation. We all have various vocations, opportunities that God has given us to serve other people, whether that's as parents or grandparents, as children or students, as citizens and community members, as friends and neighbors. These are all these opportunities God has given us to serve. But when we think about that work that God has given us to do, it can just seem insurmountable at times. So often we take stock of the world around us and we simply shake our heads or we feel overwhelmed or discouraged. We wonder, what can I possibly do that could possibly make a difference in this world? We see this world with all of its sin and strife. This hit particularly close to home for us this week with with, uh, all the strife in our community, the, 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 the difficulties and the, uh, the, the horrific moments in our community this past week. We take stock of all this and we, we lament that it seems like every day there is a, another crisis, a new crisis, a new sorrow, something difficult to endure. We see our neighborhoods and our communities becoming more divided, less loving, more led astray by harmful and dangerous cultural heresies that are hostile to Christians and hostile to God. We see our own families that are not immune to to strife or conflict or broken relationships. We see our loved ones for whom we worry for their spiritual well-being, for for whom their faith seems at best like a, a light burning dimly. And we are worried that the day is coming when their faith will be completely extinguished. We look around at all of this and, and we know that God cares for us and that God cares for them, but, but we don't know how it is that we could possibly do anything that would make a difference. Oftentimes we, like the disciples, instead focus on our needs rather than on the needs of those around us. And so we're tempted to ask Jesus to take away the problems, take away the people that present themselves to us instead of looking to him for a way to help. Oftentimes we, like the disciples, focus on our limitations, our our inabilities, our shortcomings, and we present them to Jesus like it's the proof that we can't actually do anything he's asked us to do, that we don't have the time, we don't have the patience, we don't have the skill, we don't have the abilities, we don't have the, the ability to love or to forgive like he asks us to do. You see, Jesus calls us. He calls us to him. And to bring to him all of our perceived shortcomings, our our five loaves and two fish, so to speak. And he says, bring them here to me. And he takes our limitations. 
He takes our sins. He takes all of our needs. He takes all of our resources, our talents, our energy, our very lives, and he turns them into the proof positive that not only can he meet our needs and the needs of our neighbor, but that he can oversupply us in such a way that is out of proportion to the resources available. You see, one of the ways I think the devil tempts us and gets us to hesitate, to act in any way of of love or service toward our neighbor or toward this world is that the devil gets us paralyzed. He gets us to think about the enormity of all the problems in this world and the problems in our own lives. And instead of turning to God and trusting in him, we instead lock up and we refuse to act at all. And that's what happened to the disciples. You see, God doesn't expect us to come up with the the plan, the whole game plan to save the whole world. And he doesn't expect us to have the solution to all of the world's problems. That's, That's his job. And in fact, he's already done it through Jesus. Our Savior has already demonstrated that he and he alone has the ability to work the seemingly smallest things into God's greatest solution. That's what Jesus was showing us and showing the people through the five loaves and the two fish. And even more importantly, that's what Jesus was showing with a wooden cross on a dark hill. And in a moment that looked nothing better than like a criminal being crucified and humiliated, instead what God was up to was that he was saving an entire world from all of their sins for all of eternity. Jesus has turned death on a cross into life from the grave. And what's more, Jesus also turns words recorded in a book into his life-giving and sin-forgiving voice. Jesus turns simple water into a saving flood. He turns bread and wine into his life-giving body and blood. He turns sinners like you and like me into his saints. And so when we can think of nothing to do except turn out our pockets in front of Jesus, Jesus invites you to bring these things to him and then just step back and watch him work. We never know the impact of a seemingly insignificant thing when Jesus is involved. It may be an extra moment you decide to share with a friend just to listen to them because they need to to share with, with you something. A moment you give even though it might make you late or cause you to be late to wherever you're going next. It may be an offering that you give to, to church or to a charity even though it doesn't seem like much. Maybe a weekend that you decide to volunteer to help the needs of others even though you know the need is still great in this world. Or a moment where someone confides a trouble that they have with you, and so you say back to them, may I pray for you? Maybe a school board meeting you decide to attend, or a Bible verse you decide to write in a card to a neighbor, or a simple devotion that you share nightly with your family around the dinner table, or a pamphlet that you hand out for a pregnancy care center that you hand out at the abortion clinic, or it might be an afternoon that you decide to spend with a child, or it may be your loving Savior that you decide that you just can't help but tell someone else about. All of these things may seem 
like small or insignificant things, but you never know how Jesus will use them for your own good and for the good of your neighbor. And we don't need to know God's greater plan before we act. The disciples weren't told by Jesus beforehand what he was going to do before he did it. All Jesus gave them was five loaves and two fish and instructed them to do something with it. And then Jesus took care of the rest. And that's how it goes. Because ultimately, it's not we who are responsible for making things happen. It's always Jesus. And as we heard today, when Jesus is in charge of the meal, there are always leftovers. When Jesus is involved in our lives, there is always more than enough. When Jesus gives out of his great mercy and grace and power, he always gives way out of proportion to the resources that are available. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.